eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey there, dudes and dudettes. Time to wax up your boards and go catch the big wave over at the LPN Beach Blanket Bingo. One night only at the Balboa Theater in San Diego, October 20th. Come and check out all of the cool cats and the crazy dogs at LPN. Every show in the entire network, each one pulsating and grinding in front of you for your entertainment pleasure. We're all going to catch the big kahuna. And I'm talking about that big greasy guy. I'm talking about a wave. Ew, it's seaweed. It's seaweed. Just so you know, it's going to be inside of a theater. So any physical wetness you experience is your own personal body heat or the sweat of one of the performers. Come and check it out. I'm certain if there's a podcast flavor you need on your tongue, we got the spoon for it. Beach blanket bingo, baby. Come on, girls, let's dance. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Oh yeah, man! Like we've been listening to a lot of that, like German music. Like that's later on, like in the late eighties. Like fat filthy fishes lock furiously. Yeah, fat filthy fishes lock furiously. I'm sorry, I can't even. I couldn't do it. I, I, let me do, give me one shot. Yeah, fat filthy fishes fuck furiously. Fat filthy fishes fuck furiously. Fat filthy fishes fuck furiously. Welcome to the last podcast on the left, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm Marcus Parks. With me here. Is Henry Zabrowski? Oof, welcome to Geigles. <laughs> <laughs> I, I happen to see all of you coming. Over, come to online to join us with the club. It's fantastic. I can't see your nipples, unfortunately. You can't come in. <laughs> <laughs> it's only three in the morning. I don't know why you think it's so early for you to be partying. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, with us is Ed Larson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah is that nice. the extent of your German? Is he- uh, yeah, nine. <laughs> he doesn't nine. do characters. Yeah, nine, nine, I don't, yeah, they all sound like. Germans, you know, it's upsetting. You're kind of like <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, well, thank you. But fat. But fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fun. Um, I want to bring up up top, before we get into the meat mm-hmm. of this story, is that I started like, you know, obviously we do our normal sort of like setup. You know, we we research or go into it. And I finally found, I, I, I didn't know, like I started watching the entirety of the new, Errol Morris didn't direct it. Right. 
but he is the star of it. It is a new documentary called A Wilderness of Error. Oh, that's nice. So Errol Morrissey, like he, he's like me, he went from behind the scenes, behind the camera to the front. Nice. You know, and honestly, for a man who looks like if Stanley Tucci was tur- was cursed by a witch, <laughs> right? he actually is really compelling on camera. And his whole thing is that he talks about the errors within Fatal Vision mm-hmm. uh, and the books that all this is based on. And like, why? Because I didn't fully appreciate as we we're reading. like Fatal through- Vision being the, the main source we used for this series. Yes. And I like I didn't fully appreciate the like center of the labyrinth, like what this was, like how this like how much mystery and weird misconnections were at play, because when we are going through the outline of the show, like, you know, like we try to like sum up the story. But then it's like once you get past, you see why people get obsessed yeah. with this story and why this story is hold held people's attention for this long. I mean, it's it's it has the amount of twists and turns and fuck ups and all that as like the staircase. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm very surprised that the Jeffrey McDonald story really has hasn't gotten well it actually i guess it, it has with the errol morris yeah but, young you know. young gary cole oh that's right of course we'll get to that at the end of the show yeah it seems like it, i had no idea how famous this story was yeah you know like especially because it, it kind of like went away like after he went to prison everyone's like oh thank god we don't have to think about that shit it's anymore. like done yeah, yeah, yeah. like but I, it was all over the place in the 70s it's a water cooler story it's yeah. like yeah. one of those where it's like you everybody kind of talks about everybody's kind of got a side and then you kind of find out at some point being like is there any such thing as objective truth. <laughs> yeah. Again. And I think a lot of reasons why it wasn't more popular and have like a lasting power is he's just so boring. He is boring. Himself, yeah. Him yeah. as a person, he is boring, yeah. That's yeah. why you got to, honestly, again, I know you're trying to keep it straight in order to get yourself in, in, through the appeals process, but change up the story every once in a while. Add some voices. <laughs> That's what we do here. You know, I, I've, and I have been trying out Acid is Groovy, Kill the Pigs, mm-hmm. like all over town, and <laughs> Jersey Mike's is the only place that's acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> they hated it at they the station. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. Wait a second. I arrested you before. <laughs> so when we last left Jeffrey McDonald, the Article 32 hearing convened by the Army had ruled that no charges would be filed against him concerning the gruesome murder of his wife and two children. It's important to remember, however, that an Article 32 hearing is not a criminal trial. Nor is it even a grand jury. Yeah, no one's got wigs on. (laughs) No, they do not. That meant that Jeffrey could still be charged by the state for the murder of his family should a strong enough case be brought against him. Hmm. But Jeffrey, he wasn't too worried about more legal trouble. Soon after the ruling came down, Jeffrey decided that army life was no longer for him. It was too painful. To bear. I understand. They couldn't protect his family. <laughs> yeah, God. That is a failure of our armed forces. I wonder why Vietnam went down the goddamn tubes. If we can't save one child from three lazy, tired hippies. <laughs> so he applied for and received an honorable discharge. Um, I will say I did get a good email that I liked that said, Calling Jeffrey McDonald a Green Beret is like saying a bat boy plays for the Yankees. Yeah. So he was not an actual, like, karate chop Green Beret. He was not, you know, dying of throat cancer style (laughs) Green Beret who, like, punches guys like, I remember you, Jima. You know, he's not that guy. (laughs) But uh, there is, also, I did find another correction that we got about military police, about how it's its own role. Like, you don't get bumped down in military police. It's a whole thing. It's just a lot of times younger guys do it. And a lot of times you have to actually test very highly on your exams to get a position in the military police. Interesting. Yeah, you choose military police. However, it is also, even though you, I mean, we've all tested high 
high on exams at one point in our life. Yeah, but I'll choose snitch. Yeah, man. <laughs> you mean, if you mean like fucking being high during exams. But we've also chosen the path of least resistance. Mm. So a lot of these guys, from what the email said, like, yes, they do have to score very highly, but it is also a position in which the men who may not want to do a lot of work uh, end up being uh, Again, to our military police listeners, I support you. That's very nice. That's a good job. Nice. Next time you're on a military base, you'll definitely get like the extra heave ho. Yeah, I just like the <laughs> challenge coins. <laughs> but it's at this point that Jeffrey's narcissistic personality tendencies truly began to show because the more likely reason behind Jeffrey's exit from the army was the fact that being the only survivor of a triple murder made him very popular. <laughs> and Jeffrey saw this as a chance to play the victim to as wide of an audience as possible. So he became like the Forrest Gump shrimping boat <laughs> of family annihilators? I mean, basically, yeah. Only one left. <laughs> Acting as his own agent, Jeffrey would write to various magazines and newspapers offering to tell his story. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's fucked. This guy is... He, he, shut up. Hey, listen, you got no, away no, no, with no. it. Yeah. No, listen. Hey, I got a story. I can show you exactly how my daughter was laying down. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Fa fascinating. <laughs> fascinating. But what's important to note is that for the most part, Jeffrey's story was not about surviving a brutal triple murder. It was not about his family at all. Rather, Jeffrey's story was that he was wrongfully persecuted by the army. He made it all about him. Mm. You know, that's what I didn't like about the Sully movie. You know, the movie about, you know, Sully, like, yeah, half of it was just about the trial and how he, like, got off of the trial. And they were like, oh, isn't it fucked up that there was a trial? It's like, he crashed a plane. Yeah, 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 yeah. There needs to be a trial. Oh, you want it to be more about the geese? Yeah. That would be incredible. Like, Lee Harvey Oswald Goose, who's sitting there writing his manifesto. I mean, like, these fucking planes, they all think they're fucking birds. And he's just going, he's sitting up here and like, he ties the kamikaze headband. And just being like, I'm going to take these fat fucking sky pigs down. Now, Jeffrey did contact local papers in North Carolina, as well as the Los Angeles Times. But interestingly, he also contacted Esquire, oh. which, if you'll remember, was the magazine that inspired Jeffrey's false claim that a Manson-like cult had invaded his house and murdered his whole family. I got to tell you what, Esquire, honestly, without you, none of this would have been possible. <laughs> it is just amazing. I just got to thank God, Esquire magazine, and these two family murdering heads. Yeah. I thank God he didn't contact Better Homes and Gardens. <laughs> <laughs> How to clean up a crime scene. Honestly, it's not bad. But perhaps the most bizarre and visible media appearance occurred on a late night talk show hosted by the highly underrated Dick Cavett. Yeah, you know, we're talking about this the other day. Unbelievable interviewer. Forrest Gump. I know. I remember. I also remember. I did watch. I remember one time it was like the night after Woodstock mm -hmm. where you had all the, the it was like all the hippies were there and they were like hanging around. He's like. So tell me, you cats, what's it like to be a rock and roller lifestyle? So you still got mud on your shoes. And it was like, it's like, you know, they're all sitting down, like yeah. smoking cigarettes. They're on the floor and stuff. That was back before hippies fucking ruined every single thing. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah, they all turned into shit. But I got a bunch of Dick Cavett DVDs we should watch sometime. I'd love to come over and watch a bunch of Dick Cavett DVDs. Yeah, it you sounds incredible. Do you want to do like rails? <laughs> and then we'll toss on the Dick Cavett DVDs. We'll do some mescaline. I'll probably just have tea. Yeah. 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 I'll join you. I'll join you. I'll bring over my Earl Grey blend. You guys really we are been not into. 65 years old yet. You should go to like a, I want to be ready for when I am. I know. Yeah, yeah. Earl Grey tea, hot. <laughs> years later, 
Cavett would describe being chilled by Jeffrey's glib tone during the interview, saying that specifically his affect was all wrong. That was the word that Dick Cavett used was affect. He was making jokes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, Cavett approached the subject with sympathy and gravity, but McDonald answered his questions with a tone, in Cavett's words, like he was fucking Bob Hope, yeah. like affable, relaxed. He yeah. played the tragedy for laughs to the audience, saying that he was watching a late night talk show the night of the murders. Give you know, you know, when you're you know performing and doing comedy, and yeah. you give that like signal to the audience, no. like joke, laugh. No, I'm not a hack. No, <laughs> I've never done anything like that. I don't mug. Yeah, <laughs> I never mug. <laughs> but yeah, 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 he gave that signal. Yeah, and yeah. they did laugh uncomfortably, but yeah. they laughed. But after Cavett asked Jeffrey to describe the night of the murders, if it wasn't too painful, this is what Jeffrey said. I can uh, skim through it briefly. Uh, to get deep into it does produce a lot of like emotion on my part. <laughs> yeah. And McDonald then claimed that he sustained 23 wounds in the attack, saying, uh, quote, you know, some of which they were potentially fatal. I could have died very easily. I was in an intensive care unit for several days and I had surgery. You know, I had chest tubes in my chest. I, I can't believe how strong I was. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, and that's how I knew how weak my family was. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that I punctured my own lung with a scalpel? It's all. <laughs> uh, and he's going to be boing. Now, what's so foolish about this claim is that it was so easy to disprove. Jeffrey didn't sustain anywhere near 23 wounds during the attack, and he didn't come anywhere close to death. I mean, it was barely a minor inconvenience. He would have gotten a fucking, he would have gotten worse injuries from getting into a fender bender in his car. Yes. But it was that hubris, that need to be seen as the victim in all of this, that would lead to Jeffrey's inevitable downfall. If we look at narcissistic personalities, however, we know they're extraordinarily talented at distorting reality. So it is quite possible that Jeffrey came to convince himself that something close to his story actually happened. Well, the thing I keep hearing, especially from Errol Morris and other people, you know, like people who talk about this case, which is you hear it a lot in family annihilation stories, which is being like, there's no way that man who loved his kids would have ever killed his children. Like, like what's the motivation? Like, always, right? Like mm -hmm. in every crime story, you're trying to figure out when you're doing a police investigation, you're trying to figure out why. Because, you know, at the very end, that helps you kind of point to who did it, you know, like who could be around the person who did it, blah, blah, blah. But the thing about a lot of family annihilations is that there is no real reason why. Like there is, yes, there are certain factors, but as we talked about last time, be a fucking man and leave. Yeah. Like, get a bus ticket, go someplace else. Like, there's so many ways to not do this thing, obviously. No, and so now we know a lot more. Chris, bring up Chris Watts again. Yeah. He has countless videos of him loving on his kids and being super sweet and being engaged and fake smiling and a bunch of Facebook videos and shit. But it's like, in the end, like, he just wanted a new life. Well, when when they say like so many times, like there's no way that that man ever annihilated his family. They said about Jeffrey McDonald. They said it about Watts. What those people don't realize is that they knew a person that did not exist. They knew yeah. they there did was not. A, there yeah, was they a, met a fake guy. Yeah, there was a, that person was wearing a mask in those videos yes. when they were talking to their in-laws and they were talking to their friends. They were wearing a fucking mask. You had no idea who that person was. You really sometimes it's that is the ultimate issue with stuff like that, especially if you're close. Is that you don't fucking you, you don't know anybody. Yeah. 
Anytime an entire family Eddie, I don't is know murdered. You. <laughs> Eddie, I don't fucking know you, man. I'm, I'm coming for you. <laughs> well, hey, honestly, I appreciate the heads up. But anyone, like, anytime an entire family is murdered and the father is there and he's fine, he did it. <laughs> and look, it's like, it's like any single, every single time. Like, well, you you're know, either the worst pussy on earth or you did it. Yeah. You know, it's book. Well, again, but I also will say motivation is important. Yeah. So I understand why, like, if there is no motivation, it is extremely confusing and you can see why he's totally innocent. So I see more of the mud in this this week, but I'm still kind of firmly on the Jeffrey McDonald's guilt. I mean, side. the motivation is he fucking popped his wife too hard. And, he was, and she was like probably convulsing or some shit. And he's like, oh, fuck. Now I got to kill everybody. Yeah. Or I'm going to go to jail. You never got to, though. Yeah. Again, you don't got to. You yeah. just go like, she fell on my bat. Like, just like <laughs> say something else. <laughs> but at the very least, Jeffrey's narcissistic personality disorder guaranteed that he would never take responsibility for his crimes ever. Still yeah. to this day saying, nope, I didn't do it. Now, after the Article 32 hearing concluded, Jeffrey McDonald and his lawyer, Bernie Siegel, launched what can only be described as a publicity campaign maligning the military bureaucracy, saying that they'd put a grieving husband through needless torture while the real killers ran rampant. I've never heard that before. <laughs> you know, I've never heard that. But then he did try to go get him, right? Isn't that true? Well, we'll get to that here in a second. Well, probably so they could keep the story straight and control the entire narrative themselves, Jeffrey and his lawyer told Jeffrey's father-in-law, Freddie Kassab, to stay out of it, asking him to not participate in further interviews to assure that Jeffrey's interests were, quote-unquote, protected. Yes. Yeah. Now, this set off a tiny little alarm in Kassab's head, the first of many. He also thought it was suspicious that Jeffrey was so eager to relive such a horrific night over and over again with the press. And remember, this interest is brought on by Jeffrey McDonald's behavior. Yeah. Like what he is doing is like, according to that documentary, kind of really put the timeline is that Freddie was like, he said, when we talked to him in the front, the first episode was being like, honestly, if I had another daughter, I'd want her to marry Jeffrey. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he loved Jeffrey and they were there for him. And it was the Dick Cavett interview. Yeah. Where they sat and he watched him and it was when he was making a laugh. He was making all the laughs and doing all the shit. Mm -hmm. He, he should have been broken. Yeah. He should have been a puddle of a man. It's just a thing. It's also, again, you can't tell someone how they're supposed to react, but every but normal person way. on earth doesn't talk to another human again as long as they live if their family's murdered by a bunch of hippies. Or you just don't <laughs> go on Dick Cavett and make a bunch of jokes about it. Yeah. yeah. And to that point, it seemed to Freddie that Jeffrey was far more interested in doing interviews than in finding the real killers. Mm -hmm. Most of all, though, Freddie found it strange that the army didn't pick up the investigation concerning his stepdaughters and granddaughters' murders after charges weren't brought against Jeffrey. But what Freddie didn't know was that the army realized that there was no point in further investigation because they'd taken their shot and they'd fucking missed. Yeah. And yeah. any other attempt to find the real killers would have been a waste of time and resources. They'd rather go away than look like fucking idiots. Yes. I mean, you know, it's it's a part of it. Yeah. yeah. But there were two goddamn detectives who wouldn't let it go. But yeah. we'll get to them later. <laughs> and so Freddie Kassab decided that if the army wasn't going to look into it and Jeffrey wasn't going to look into it, Freddie was going to do it himself. I love it. He just fuck This guy got. He's got tense. time. He's, he's retired. Got his yeah. daughter's dead. You know, yeah. his, his kids are, his grandkids are dead. He's got nothing to do. Yeah. 
To begin with, Kassab went to Washington, D.C. and delivered 500 copies of an 11-page letter to Congress requesting a proper investigation apart from the Article 32 hearing to find and prosecute whoever was behind the murders. Now, after Jeffrey recognized that it would be very bad for him if his father-in-law looked into the case himself, he came up with a cinematic story that he hoped would satiate Freddie Kassab's curiosity. McDonald told his father-in-law that he'd gotten together with a bunch of other Green Berets and they'd tracked down one of the four intruders. After torturing him for information, they then killed him. And as McDonald put it, that guy's six feet under. It depends on where your theology is, actually, because some people might say he's a thousand feet above. <laughs> but I honestly, we looked into it. And the terminology that he used, which I thought he was just like, he's like, one down, three to go. Good God. You yeah. know, and they're like, you know, him like smoking and pretending. Meanwhile, like he was barely a Green Beret. He barely. was just he was just in the department. He was a doctor. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if he went to prison for that fake murder? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'd be like, As you can see, this smiling cat was murdered by Jeffrey McDonald. Yeah, and Jeffrey then emphasized that the brave Green Berets were on the trail of the other three, and they'd take care of it the Green Beret way, without all that liberal, namby-pamby, due process nonsense. Nonsense! Yeah. Now, Freddie sort of said, he's like, all right. Like, he didn't really believe him. But after he saw Jeffrey on the Dick Cavett show, he changed his mind completely about his former son-in-law. See, what Freddie noticed most was that Jeffrey made no call to help find the real killers during the interview. No plea to call the authorities if anyone had any information that might lead to their arrest. Even the fucking Ramses always remember to do that. Oh, yeah. And he's, it's really like, it shows a lot about himself. Yes. Because, again, it was all just about, like, oh, this is being done to me. Everything's mm-hmm. being done to me. Can mm-hmm. you believe this tragedy? He didn't bring up the kids. He didn't bring up his wife. He no. didn't bring up fucking anything. Yeah. Kassab was also flabbergasted by Jeffrey's claim that he'd suffered 23 stab wounds. Kassab knew this wasn't true because he'd visited McDonald in the hospital right after the murders. He saw that Jeffrey had barely suffered a scratch. It was at this point that Kassab realized that the real killer had been sitting in front of him the whole time, lying from the word go and saying whatever it was that Freddie Kassab wanted to hear to make Jeffrey McDonald not the killer. You know he fucking puked. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. immediately. Well, it's like they showed in the in the documentary of him taking all the pictures down in the house, like all the, all the wedding pictures, every single thing with them, and just like throwing them in a big fucking trash bag, like cutting them out of everything. And then he did it the old-fashioned Henry Zabrowski research way, which I do miss sometimes. I miss smoking and reading, but he yeah. just sit down with his three packs a day, a bottle of fucking scotch, and let the scotch... Do the reading. (laughs) (laughs) Well, soon, Kassab obtained a transcript from the interrogation that McDonald had flubbed so badly and read all the inconsistencies that the CID investigators had pointed out once Jeffrey gave them enough rope to hang himself with. Kassab then requested and received the full investigation that had been conducted by the Army. Again, even with the mistakes, Kassab found that the version of events that he'd been presented by his son-in-law had been a total fabrication, and that the story that he'd been wrongfully persecuted had been a bald-faced, narcissistic lie. It was at that point that Kassab realized that the person he thought he'd been close with all these years, the person that he'd prized as a son-in-law, the person he'd defended in court, did not exist at all. 
at least not in this form, because especially when he realized that he was having affairs. He was having multiple affairs. We'll talk about all that. We'll get into all that shit. And so Kassab began working directly with the authorities, reviewing reports and making notes where he could provide more accurate information and where he could sharpen certain details. With new blood in the investigation, Jeffrey was brought back in for questioning under the guise of finding the real killers. And he was there um, and definitely it has nothing to do with O.J. Simpson. I can imagine <laughs> O.J. Simpson being right next to him, being like, got done with his Hertz yeah. like, commercial for the yeah, first yeah, time yeah. and then arrives. <laughs> and being like, you need help looking for real killers? <laughs> I have a feeling. <laughs> well, specifically, the cops wanted to ask him about Helena Stokely, the burnout hippie that we mentioned at the end of the last episode. Police had obtained a photo of Helena and tried to get Jeffrey to trip up on an identification concerning the floppy-hatted woman. The floppy-hatted woman must <laughs> leave. Jeffrey, of course, stayed slippery. He said, quote, I probably sound like I'm avoiding the issue, but uh, not from the photograph. I, I can't do that. Uh, there, there, there are a number of reasons. Assuming she was there, the conditions and the shortness of my being there, right? She was least likely for me to be able to identify. I, I would say that out of the four I saw, the four people of this, she's the least likely. You know, I, I know I was seeing blonde hair. You know, for instance, it, uh, it it really does. When you look at the face, I would say not from this, right? The nose looks really prominent here. It looks like you would remember the nose right away. You know, if you saw it, I just had the impression that I was looking at a much smaller, narrower nose. It's very bulbous. It looks very prominent, but you know, but I get a weird feeling. I get an uncomfortable feeling looking at her face. I just don't know. I feel bad for this woman. Just <laughs> Everybody's roasting her. Yeah, it's like, just, it has a huge nose. The thing is, it's is obviously crazy. Also in this documentary, <laughs> Helena Stokely is constantly talked as, her face looked like it had been gathering years, five years in a bunch. You know what I mean? Like, like Jesus Christ. You mean like, she had a lot of miles on her. Yeah. You know? 25 going on 80. <laughs> from your grave. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports, and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. And isn't that what matters most? Better writing means a stronger impact. Grammarly works across 500 thousand apps and websites. You can't escape it. Like the ever-pervasing 
octopus of malice that is the NSA. Grammarly is watching your every move, making sure that you're doing it right. Data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly, into the very essence of its nature. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner, and it helps your team make their point and move faster, because that's the key there. Work smarter, not harder. Yes, Grammarly. You know how many times it saves me from writing a long, rambling, one-sentence email at 4 o'clock in the morning to my beloved employees? Makes me sound like someone who doesn't just have a BA in theater. All right, I was taught how to be a tree. I was not taught how to survive as an adult. All right, my job was to cry in front of a weird Southern man who just told me all sorts of weird stuff about my body. I didn't learn how to write. So thank you, Grammarly, because you're making me the boss I gotta be to motivate my team to get out there. Oh, man, you don't want to mess with them. Thanks, Grammarly. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free. Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Yeah, we do. Do you love saving money? Oh my God, you bet. Then Philo may be your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. That's amazing. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles. It's just a better way to watch TV. Get with it, people. Philo has an unlimited DVR for one year. Save all your favorite shows so you can watch on your own schedule. Philo allows for multiple profiles and multiple streams, meaning that your children or significant other can't ruin your queue. Never miss a minute of shows like, oh, RuPaul's Drag Race. You're going to watch it. You're going to love it. You're going to get involved with it. And it's an extravaganza. You're going to love it. With Philo, you can start watching in seconds for less money and less hassle. Try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash left. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash L-E-F-T to get 50% off your first month. Now, Helena Stokely have been questioned literally hundreds of times by investigators, just like every other person who even approached hippie appearance in the vicinity of Fayetteville and Fort Bragg. But like everyone else, questioning Helena was just due diligence, and she nor any of the others were considered a serious suspect at any point. To highlight that fact, even after Stokely told a friend that she remembered being covered in blood the night of the murders, and her friend called the FBI saying, hey, Helena, my friend Helena said she remembered being covered in blood the night of the McDonald murders. FBI said, okay, yeah, thanks. Well, they yeah. politely thanked her for the tip and didn't follow up because they uh, they knew Helena Stokely had nothing to do with she's it. She's just looking for attention. Yes, well, she's looking for attention and she's looking, she's one of those people pleasers. That's how people, and a lot of times like people who make false confessions, that's how they're always described. Like this is a person that wants to please whoever's in front of them and they will say anything to gain the admiration, you know, the pride of the person sitting in front of them, especially if that person is an authority figure. When she was a known quantity to some of the local police because she was a police informant. So it's like a lot of, so what she did do is like, she sold out all of her best friends. She did a bunch of kind of shady shit. This entire story 
is about unreliable people. Yeah. yeah. It's like there are all of these people you cannot really pin down. And like, especially her, because she was already kind of in and out. Like she did tell her best friend and roommate, like, you know, she did say her roommate said like she borrowed a blonde wig and a floppy hat. And there was like all this kind of like weird mystery inside of the Helena Stokely story. That's kind of really where a wilderness of error is really like in on you know like Errol Morris is really concerned with the Helena Stokely story which I do understand because it's the thing like why does she keep popping up why does she confess recant confess recant like I don't know at the very end she kind of just said I was sort of like kind of already involved in the police so that everyone was kind of being like hey don't be around this story anymore you're unreliable but then again she's unreliable so who fucking knows I just don't believe that she had three friends (laughs) (laughs) they were more like a team there's a team but she blamed it all on a guy named Greg Mitchell that was a psychopath Vietnam vet that she said that just couldn't turn it off yeah well all that is to say the authorities were still laser focused on Jeffrey McDonald as was Freddie Kassab Freddie soon flew to Fayetteville and met with the CID investigators who still wanted to help take McDonald down. Two guys named Jack Pruitt and Peter Kern. Peter Kern! Mm. Mustering up an incredible amount of strength, Kassab went to 544 Castle Drive with the two investigators to recreate McDonald's steps according to his testimony in the very unit where his stepdaughter and grandchildren had been killed. And imagining a man that is very similar to Mushnick from Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, is that what he looks like? Oh, yeah, he's he's a fun guy. He looks like what I hope to be. You know what I mean? Pinky ring, got a good good amount of chains. He's a a Long Island guy. He's from Long Island. He looks good. He looks good. But it's like imagining this like 50-year-old Long Island bejeweled man doing a full-on Eddie Murphy-style act-out of the entire scenario must have been kind of fun. I mean, I hope they filmed it. I mean, that's good content. They had to have, yeah. Yeah. See, we didn't mention it this last episode, but Jeffrey made two phone calls that night to emergency services. The first was to 911, but the operator told him that since he was on Fort Bragg, he needed to call those authorities for help. That was just policy. But Jeffrey claimed that in between the first call and the second call, which occurred two minutes later, there are records. He looked outside for the intruders, checked on his wounds in the bathroom, and washed his hands. Because remember... There was no blood on either phone. He said he then checked the pulses on three bodies that were all soaked in blood. He claimed to have attempted mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on his wife. He claimed to have crawled to the kitchen, washed his hands again, then finally called the MPs with his weak performative message. And this all was supposedly done in two minutes. I mean, that's ridiculous. If I ever, when I have a heart attack in front of you guys. No, okay, cool, good. <laughs> mouth to mouth for at least three to four minutes. I'll okay, be there. Yeah, man. yeah press yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah no, yeah. I'll make sure that your chest is good and crushed yeah. <laughs> by the end of the process just to make sure you're dead. I don't no. want to do that to you. Yeah. I don't know how to do it. Uh, the, it's interesting because you can see he left blood all over the sink. Mm-hmm. Right. They know they had blood over the sink. They had blood in the kitchen outside where the surgical gloves were, right by where he went and found it. But they don't have any, like, in between, there's no blood. Also, when he started doing the, like, they asked a bunch of weird questions, right? Like, the lights were off in the room when the kids were in there lying dead. So, you mean to tell me? So, he'd go in. Like, they're, like, just kind of human things. So, he would turn the light on, do mouth-to-mouth receptions on the kids, first of all. Then they were still found laying on their sides. Why are they not on their backs? So, then he'd leave. He'd shut the light off, 
to go back and forth between all these things and then turn the light on and turn the light off to go back in? Is that what he's doing? And then with the wife, they said the same thing when he was doing the mouth to mouth. He said, I can't do it because the wind is coming out of her chest, blah, blah, blah. She had no chest wounds. So that's another weird ass. Like, why are you saying that then? Because that's not real either. Yeah, and there's also the fact that the room was dark when he was supposedly woken up, and they tried out. It's like, okay, let's see like what it looks like in here when all the lights are turned off, and there's no way that he could have identified four assailants with the amount of detail that he identified them in a near pitch-dark room. And that's the thing, is that Kasab and the investigators, they were suspicious about this flurry of activity, you know, especially considering the claims that Jeffrey was making about his own state of health at this time, 23 stab wounds. And so they attempted to run through those steps between the two phone calls several times and found that it was physically impossible to do so in just two minutes. Maybe it's because they're not the fastest man within 10 feet. Like yeah. you. I can fucking <laughs> rip through a crime scene. You're quick. You're not fast. That's the idea. Yeah. Again, <laughs> quick ankles. I have good lateral movement. I don't need to do a long haul run. I just need to be as fast as possible to tire a man out until he murders me and then Natalie will complete the actual defending of herself. Yeah. Because again, that's our roles. Your your role is to buy time. I, that yeah. is, I, we all know. No, I'm the, the human shield. He's the rope dope yeah, 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 He's yeah, the I one that go, gets him tired and then Natalie comes in and finishes. I'm throwing props at him. You know, I'm like hiding and that's my goal. My goal is to have places, trap doors, go underneath in a tunnel, pop out on the other side. They yeah. don't know I'm all here. Like Rufio. Mm. From Hook. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But you're more like with the, the fat kid with all the pudding on his face. By the way, how, how is work in the lollipop killed going? You. <laughs> now, concerning the struggle Jeffrey had and the screams he claimed to have heard from his children, here's another kicker. The McDonald's didn't live in a single occupancy home. What? They had upstairs neighbors who could hear the murmurs of normal conversations from the McDonald residents during just everyday conversation. So it would have been impossible for the supposed struggles and screams to have gone unnoticed that night. A different entrance, though, right? Yeah, Probably, different entrance. I, imagine. Yeah, I okay. would imagine so. I don't know the full layout of the house, but I do know that they had upstairs neighbors. You can't get away with this shit with upstairs neighbors. I mean, unless you live in New York City where you are trained... To ignore screams. Yes. You hear screams yeah. and you hear stuff and you just kind of live in your own bubble because we're living in these apartments that have super thin walls. You hear every word that everybody says and you just learn that you have to. It's uh, it's like the, it's, a, it's the cause of omerta, but it's with your neighborhood. Yeah. Well, and it's also just terribly annoying. Oh, yeah. You <laughs> yeah, just yeah, have yeah. to get used to it. The people who lived above me in Ridgewood, it was just like a bunch of children. Yeah. There was, I never saw an adult. Like, there was like 20 children in that apartment. Uh, 20 children legally make up three adults. <laughs> so if you can get someone in there in a full apartment, eventually they will get a lease. Now, the investigators and Freddie Kassab tested a whole host of Jeffrey's claims and found that none of them made sense. And by the end of it, all three were entirely convinced that Jeffrey McDonald had murdered his family. But since McDonald was now a civilian, it was now in the hands of the Justice Department, meaning that CID investigators Pruitt and Kearns couldn't bring the charges back to the military authorities. Bringing this case to the Department of Justice was going to take time and patience. But Freddie Kassab, using his best detective movie grimace, said, quote, I'm only 52 years old. Besides, I got the patience of Job. Commercial yeah, break. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a long book in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you read this Job book? 
It's fucking sad. (laughs) (laughs) Now, to strengthen the case, Pruitt and Kearns began investigating McDonald's background and found he was not the person that he had presented himself to be to those closest to him. See, Jeffrey not only cheated on his wife, but he actually dated the women that he cheated with. Um, What a waste of time. What's the point? Yeah, what's the well? It's just he just wanted to. Yeah. yeah, it made him it made him feel big because that was Jeffrey McDonald's whole thing is that he had to feel mat. He had such a need to feel masculine at all times that he had to prove it's like, oh yeah, I can fuck whoever I want. Not only that, these women want to fuck me. I can fuck this girl. I can fuck that girl. My fucking wife, she don't know shit. She's sitting back home. She's making me dinner. That's what a wife's supposed to be fucking doing. Yeah. See, meanwhile, See, I- he looks like he hums when he fucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All done. (laughs) Ah, completed. (laughs) Silence now. (laughs) And he's got a shirt on that says, like, I all the food uh, wants me to eat it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all right, I didn't write you down. I'm fucking coming at your fucking ass. (laughs) Well, by the end of it, they'd found relationships with a nurse, a Swedish exchange student, a 16-year-old babysitter, Mm. a 19-year-old daughter of another colleague that he was, quote-unquote, teaching to learn how to drive. Yeah, it was stick shift. No, I didn't murder my family. (laughs) That's funny. He's having fun here. And he was fucking the wife of a special forces sergeant that Jeffrey was supposed to be counseling for marital problems. (laughs) Jesus Christ, he doesn't even look like a... Attractive man. He's no. a doctor. Yeah, he's a he's doctor. doctor. Yeah. They love doctors. Mm-hmm. People love doctors. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it counts for a lot. Especially mm-hmm. for some reason, it counted a lot more like in the 60s, yeah. 70s, and 80s. He looks like one of the Nazis from the Blues Brothers. <laughs> you know? He kind of does. It was also discovered that immediately after the murders, immediately, Jeffrey began a sexual relationship with a civilian working at Fort Bragg who said they had sex dozens of times before the relationship ended. The investigators also soon discovered the reason why Jeffrey had been taking the diet pills. Yes. And that's the one thing Errol Morris does. He believes that the Escatrol storyline mm-hmm. is like is too much. Is it, he thinks it's dubious. He's just one of those where it's like where in Fatal Vision, he kind of puts it a lot of weight on the medication. Well, he he waits until the end yes. to really talk about the Escatrol. He doesn't mm-hmm. put he doesn't talk about it a ton throughout the narrative, but at the end it's like there's this thing like, okay, here's everything that Escatrol can do to can a person. Can do to yeah. you. Yeah, but he was way more like, you know, they I don't think it takes speed doesn't necessarily make you kill your family. It doesn't sometimes, necessarily. Sometimes it makes you make the musical New York, New York. Because <laughs> Martin Scorsese was a misstep. And he said he did blame cocaine for the entire process. <laughs> well, I mean, I understand where Errol Morris is coming from because he's very concerned with justice, like the yeah. rule of the law. You know, yes. He's probably so, on amphetamines himself. He's like, I can't, you know, I can't be compared to this guy. No, no, I just had it in movies. <laughs> no, this is a guy who had like a fucking, who him and Werner Herzog like dared each other to go dig up Ed Gein's grave. Like, God, I love that. I still, I love Errol Morris though. Yeah, I, I love, love Errol Morris. Like yeah. Gates, of, Gates of Heaven, that movie is incredible. Oh yeah, he's unbelievable. Yeah. Check out everything. Yeah, everything. But he's very much, you know, of the opinion of there's right, there's wrong, and there's the law, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll get later to the trial, uh, but he's also very much a believer in like the constitutional fact that every American is deserving of 
a fair it, trial. A fair trial. Yeah, there's yeah. a baseline. The yeah. baseline is you can walk in there, and no matter what anybody said you've done or what you that you could exonerate yourself if the evidence is there. That's the mark of a good documentarian. Yes, yes. of course. And I true see- objectivity, and we're not objective here. No, no. we're highly subjective. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to use the word speculation a lot today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I see what he's saying, like because the the amphetamines, the escatrol, we are speculating yeah. when we're talking about that. Yes. We don't know for sure. We are speculating. We are extrapolating yeah. uh, from the facts. But, of course, that wouldn't necessarily hold up in a court of law. Yeah, we're speculating that he put the mean in amphetamine. <laughs> cute. Thank you. That's really cute. That's Thank you very really much. cute. For, for this story, it's hard to write a cute joke. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. It's like how you, you can't kill a child with kindness. No. Nope. No. Nope. Yeah. See, Jeffrey had joined the Fort Bragg boxing team and wanted to make weight, so he needed to drop pounds fast. Mm. Back before the murders, Jeffrey told his wife that he was doing so well, so quickly on this Fort Bragg boxing team that he was going to be sent to Russia Mm -hmm. to box the communists. One by one. (laughs) I find the toilet paper line. I hit each one because I know they're weak because they got a shit. And they're waiting to get it, right? Then I go over to the canned chicken line. And I beat them up one by one because I know that they're hungry. This is years before Rocky IV, by the way. The thing is like... This, of course, was another lie and was most likely a cover for Jeffrey to spend an extended amount of time away from the family that he was beginning to resent even more after his wife's accidental pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Never forget, she was pregnant when he murdered her. That's Enough. right. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That one. Yeah. I tried to forget it. Yeah. No, I ain't. I ain't letting you. Was that? A, but that he wasn't ever charged with that murder. No. Not. A, you know what? People aren't always charged with the murder of a fetus. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Good to know. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Nice. We're all right. <laughs> Another interesting clue as to why Jeffrey may have decided to annihilate his family came from the child psychology course his wife Colette was taking at the time of the murders. Investigators found her notes and found that she'd paid special attention to classes that focused on the development of narcissistic personalities. Colette wrote notes on how children respond and adapt to their environments, particularly how they can fall into denial and distortions of reality, which are two marks of a narcissistic personality. In other words, it seems as if puzzle pieces were starting to fall into place for Colette when it came to her husband's behavior over the years. He should have burned the house down. I nah, mean, yeah, he really should have. Really good advice. Yeah. It's really important. You <laughs> get rid of everything. Very, very good. But then, of course, there's the neighbors upstairs. That's a problem. They're Honestly, gone now, too. He yeah. wants to get away with it. Yeah, yeah, He's already right. killed fucking four people. Yeah, what does it matter? What's yeah, they're going to smell the smoke. They're going to run out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And if not, and for a penny, and for a pound. If you're gonna, if you're gonna stick a fucking ice pick into your toddler's neck nine times, what do you care about the people upstairs? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah exactly. What, yeah, is he exactly. trying to save the lamps. Yeah, he's not <laughs> trying to get his security deposit back. <laughs> when you put all this together, though, from Jeffrey's obvious lie about boxing in Russia to Colette's newfound understanding of what Jeffrey was really like behind the mask, it's possible that a confrontation may have resulted in a murderous snap reaction. Well, we she go. definitely called her parents at some point and said, I guess it was like a couple of weeks before the murder happened and said, can we come up and stay with you? Yeah. And they said, it's not a good time. And so she obviously they oh, didn't you know they, that fucking haunts. Oh, yeah. yeah the rest of their lives. But yeah. they so something was going on, but she they didn't want anybody. To know. You got to remember, this is the height of go along to get along. Yeah. This is yeah. 1970. 
Like this is before things started like breaking. It was still kind of like a hangover, a hippie culture that was mixed in with the 1950s. The hair, everybody looked like a fucking labradoodle. Yeah. Like it was all of the hair was bad, but that hair helped cover up a lot of crimes. Yeah, they think that people just thought they wanted things to be copacetic and they felt it was embarrassing for people to know their personal issues. Yeah. Often. I don't know. It seems like it's one of those things, especially within family units. Well, Colette was a little more open with it. Like she would talk to people in her class like, hey, there's something go-. like they'd ask, like, hey, is it, are you OK? Because obviously they knew obviously something was going on yes. at home. She's like, my husband's personality is changing. I don't know what to do about it. Yes. Like, or maybe it wasn't that his personality was changing. Maybe it was just that she was starting to see him for who he really was. Maybe. Yeah. Sick of him being an asshole. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But of course, all of this was only useful in building a psychological profile on Jeffrey. And that could, of course, only be used as speculation. Luckily for investigators, though, new avenues of forensic evidence were discovered. Inconsistencies were found in the ice pick holes of the pajama top. Those holes were neat where they should have been ragged. If you're fighting somebody and they're stabbing at you with an ice pick, they're not going to poke little neat holes. It's going to yeah. be rips. Uh, and there's, a, there's a very famous scene in the movie that comes from the trial where they showed how those things could be made. So they did an act out, which again, the must be the funnest part about being a lawyer at all. Like doing yeah. those act outs being like, we remember when they did it with Gwyneth Paltrow with the ski incident. Oh yeah. When Ugh. she tried, they would try to get her to get out. They, all of the other team was trying to get her to come out and be like, will you act out the scenario with us? And she's like, they pay me $15 million to do that. So she wouldn't do it. Like she <laughs> wouldn't get out of her chair. But they wrapped yeah. a, a pajama top around their arms and they had another guy with an ice pick in the middle of the trial, stabbing at him, with the ice pick, and he showed, number one, are there terrors in it? But while he was fucking doing it, he stabbed the dude in the fucking arm yeah. while, during the representation. So you can see, like, he would have had some form of attack wound, some sort Something. of defense wound. Something. Yes, it very, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, also, they found rips in the victim's clothing that were supposedly made by the dull knife. Those, were all, those also should have been messy. They should have been ragged. But they yeah. were clean, and they were sharp. Even more damning was Jeffrey's claim that he pulled a knife out of his wife's chest, which explained why his fingerprints were on the knife. It was soon proved that the knife had not been used to kill Colette, but had rather been used to murder Jeffrey's daughters. And wh how did they know? Uh, because every single member of the McDonald household had a different blood type. So they could look and see, they could check and see where every single blood, so they could map out the crime scene completely by where each blood piece of blood spatter was. I did no research. Well, because <laughs> always be prepared. Well, it's interesting because it, that was kind of a coincidence too, because at this time period, there's no DNA. There's none of that shit. Yeah. You can't yeah. really. So the fact that they each had their own individual marker w was like. It was incredibly lucky. Yes. And on it went from the fact that Jeffrey's wound had obviously been made by a scalpel to the pajama top that was found to have been spattered with Colette's blood before Jeffrey laid it on top of her blood-soaked corpse. Most disturbing, however, was the statement that came from Jeffrey McDonald's own sister, Judy. She said that Jeffrey became aggressive and angry when he didn't get his way and that Jeffrey was absolutely capable of killing someone if he was provoked. Sometimes with sisters, you can't trust them because my <laughs> sister got risk removed from our home because I was blamed for creating a toxic environment around the board game situation in the Zabrowski household. I believe her. I, you, I, I will 
go to family court <laughs> and show that I was undermined. Mm-hmm. All right, because she didn't understand the rules. Nope. And she didn't understand, like, oh, you want to do your stupid thing where you base all your fucking bullshit in Australia and I can't get at you? Well, then you better, oh, man. We mm-hmm. all know that you jerked off at the family computer. I had to. No, as did I. Where was I going to go? We you all were looking. Yeah, we all jerked off with a family computer. See, I had my, I had, I had stuff in my room. Yeah, I had, I had the Playboy Channel. See, I that's the thing. That's though, privilege. That, yeah, I actually, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a whole. I mean, I had VHS tapes, multiple VHS tapes. Uh, I had magazines. Uh, but then that's the thing is that there was still like the lure of the internet because. There's more. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was already tired of all the stuff I already had. I, I was terrified. To, I jerked off to the TV Guide. Really? Oh, yeah. Anything. Which issue? I always remember that Jenny McCarthy issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, later, Judy McDonald would even testify against her own brother, adding that he was abnormally judgmental of others, reserving specific disgust for smokers and sloppy eaters. Oh, well, thank God he didn't know Holden McNeely in the 2010s. (laughs) Fuck you, Holden. Got him. (laughs) Jeffrey McDonald, however, didn't know that any further investigation was being done. He'd since moved to the Upper East Side of Manhattan and joined forces with a physician named... Dr. Broadway. It's me. (laughs) Hello, you have cancer. (laughs) I hate a doctor with a nickname. I know. I I don't like it. You know, because that's why I always respected Dr. Zizmore. Oh, yeah. Because Dr. Zizmore, he could have gone by Dr. Pimple Popper. Yeah. He could have gone by Zip Man. Dr. Z. Dr. Z. Nope. Dr. Zizmore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's out there. He's going to fix your fucked up face. I think he went down for like tax evasion or something. Really? Yeah. I think Dr. Zizmore was like in pimple jail. He got oh. popped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't go out in a blaze of glory like Barnes. <laughs> I look up Dr. Zizmore. I haven't thought about him in a long time. Continue. Well, mostly. <laughs> well, mostly Dr. Broadway treated actors and made house calls to quote provide tranquilizers for agitated actresses. Oh, oh he's terrifying. Now. Oh, no, no, I'll just feel it right now. Jonathan Zizmore, he retired in 2016 in order to study the Talmud full-time. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, it's that's actually great. really nice. Yeah, that's nice. really nice. Well, McDonald even became a bit of a socialite, entertaining people like the Countess, Christina Paolozzi, who lived off blood money squeezed from the people of South America as an heiress to the United Fruit Company, one of the most evil corporations to ever exist. I know nothing about them, but I believe you. Thank you. <laughs> the United Fruit Company, I believe that is the company that basically went and took over all of like inner Mexico and South well, America. It was, like, like, a, it was more like Venezuela, like yeah. more Central America. Like, you know, Central that, America. You know the term Banana Republic? Yeah. It comes from the United Fruit Company. Uh, it comes, you know where you get your knit belts? Mm, <laughs> I love my knit belts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it comes out like they basically uh, took over an entire country and, and enslaved. Uh, a bunch of people to pick bananas. It's now called Chiquita. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I love bananas. Yeah, I know it's, you do. That's all I heard. That's the hard thing. Yeah, like, it's like, I'll, I'll fucking peel this microphone right now. Oh, it's very expensive. All right. Someone already took the headphones out of here. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what happened either. But maybe on a future side stories episode, we can get you we can get you to do your new favorite monkey movie rundown because we hadn't talked to you about monkey movies in a real long time. And okay. I imagine you got some new favorites. I love Skull uh, Skull Island. We're not going to do it right now. We're not doing it right now. Not one big banana in the whole movie. You you got him going. I think it was cut. You know that that was a producer's note. You mean to tell me we got this whole monkey film? Not one banana. How is he eating? What is he doing? There's not one monkey bed. We're not going to see him smoke a cigarette. 
<laughs> well, it wasn't just evil heiresses that he was inviting over. He had fucking Walter Cronkite come yeah. over to his house once. It's really because John Holmes, same thing. A lot of like people are really into to I, I would say the term is transgressive culture. Mm. You know, like the idea of hanging out with something like that, especially the time is super like, ooh, not. I'm hanging out with he. Ooh, did he kill his family? I don't know. Past the canapes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ooh, yum. He probably just wanted to be interviewed again. I mean, I think he was just angling. Yeah, yeah, just like in the attention. Like yeah. attention. Well, put simply, Jeffrey McDonald was spending just about as much time searching for the real killers as O.J. Simpson spent while he was filming his long-forgotten straight-to-video prank show. Juice. Hey, there's a lot of downtime on set. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It is mostly hurry up and wait. There's plenty of time to go look for killers, especially if it's within a 20 foot circle of a trailer. You, you see, recently OJ said he doesn't come back to uh, Los Angeles because he's scared he'll run into the murderers. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's a Three Stooges movie. Like he's going to like bump into him. Like they're like going to be holding a big plate glass thing and like moving things in out. Perhaps the most heartbreaking episode, though. Just before Jeffrey's prosecution began was when Jeffrey's mother, Dorothy, visited Freddie Kassab and his wife in February of 1972. Over the course of two hours, the Kassab slowly and patiently explained all the facts that proved her son had murdered his family. And after listening in silence, Jeffrey's mother simply stood up, went home, and never spoke with the Kassabs again. It's a good mother. Shut, yep, shutters up. Yep, and soon after, she moved out to California to be close to her, Jeffrey. My, I think that my mom would literally fake evidence to get me out of a murder. Oh, for sure. And I'd yeah. be like, don't stop this. Yeah. Yeah, She'd yeah, be yeah. like, I don't worry, I got the ketchup. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> but even after investigators Pruitt and Kearns presented a 3,000-page report to the DOJ that included the pursuit of leads in 32 states, Vietnam, Okinawa, Jesus. Germany, and Puerto Rico, and that's in addition to 34 lab reports, 699 interviews, 151 sworn statements. Even after all that, the DOJ just sat on the case. Possibly, the DOJ was reluctant to bring more bad press to the military while new testimonies were coming in at a seemingly constant basis concerning reprehensible behavior perpetrated by a small number of soldiers on the battlefields of Vietnam. This is 1972. I mean, the troop wind down is still like, I think, a year away when they really started winding down troops and just started bombing the fuck out of Vietnam all the time. But, you know, it's about it's three years after My Lai. People haven't quite forgotten about that yet. And you've got, you know, and you've, of course, got these vets held in these press conferences all the time. So the army does not want bad press. No. At all. They're fucking done with it. Well, I mean, they're already dealing with it because it's also the first time anyone's seeing televised evidence of war and seeing these things. So investigative reporters are showing these, like, actual murders happen and corpses. They've never had this type of access before or the ability to show what really goes on in a war time. And so on one side, you have the kind of a, the jingoistic a, like aspect of like, our boys are going to go out there and deal with it. And then you go actually see the evidence that it's just like extremely horribly complex, macabre, no. horror show that we're all in the it middle of. It was also extremely disorganized. Oh, it's yeah. just all, it was just, it, it won't good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Me Lai was filmed. Yeah. It's one of the worst like war crimes ever perpetrated by, you know, the American military. And it was filmed and the dudes were fine with it. That's how yep. insane that type of shit was. And the second one was Avatar 2. <laughs> <laughs> Coming for you, Cameron. 
<laughs> well, finding no help in the DOJ, Kassab tried forcing their hand by going public with an extensive interview to Newsweek. After still no action was taken, Kassab leaked information explicitly making Jeffrey complicit in the murders to the New York Daily News. With that, after various court battles batted the case back and forth because nobody wanted to touch it, North Carolina finally agreed to prosecute Jeffrey McDonald for all three murders after two years of trying to get this thing to trial. And in August of 1974, a grand jury was convened. And that was, by the way, four years after the crime had occurred. Crazy. It yeah. takes that long. Live from your grave. The only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast? Your dog. That was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You bet your dog. But you're going to learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay. Every month, BarkBox decides and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for their little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats and oh they love their life and they love the they love what bark box brings because bark box brings the bark and puts it in a box yep to get your free upgrade go to barkbox.com slash l-e-f-t this show is sponsored by better help it says here i have to talk about something i need to get off my chest and i guess i can share it here I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine. And it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. Hi! Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. 
Uh, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs, and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt, and I love planting things myself. And fast-growing trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like, I got this uh, Texas sage. It's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there, and it's going to thrive, and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Now, Jeffrey did not do well during his grand jury testimony. While it seemed as if the Article 32 attorneys got knocked off balance by Bernie Siegel's stellar defense, the prosecution now had quite a bit more information on McDonald, and they knew what was coming. Trying to show Jeffrey's more temperamental side, prosecutorial attorney Victor Warheide questioned... It's a great name. Yeah, Warheide. Warheide. You think they called him Warheide? Just Maybe. To, like, fuck with yeah, him. then he just be like, "You fucking that's all my name. <laughs> I prosecute you. I prosecute you." <laughs> but if he was in the army, I bet they called him Warthog. Ooh, oh, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. He questioned Jeffrey about his relationship with his in-laws. McDonald, of course, said that they were out to get him because he was moving on with his life, calling Mildred Kassab bizarre and Freddie an alcoholic fanatic. But after Jeffrey's tense testimony, seventy-five more witnesses took the stand who tore McDonald's story to pieces. The surgical resident at the emergency room where Jeffrey was treated said that he was not in shock at all that night, and his wounds were superficial, and the so-called punctured lung was made by a clean, small, sharp incision done in such a way so as to not permanently damage or even seriously harm the lung. And would you even fucking believe the guy didn't compliment me? (laughs) Like how nice I had done that? Like, because seriously, it's difficult to do. I had just killed my children. I mean, yeah, when's the last time you punctured your own lungs? (laughs) A neighbor then testified that she heard Colette and Jeffrey arguing the night of the murder. They said they heard Colette say something to the effect of, what do you think I'm going to be doing while you're doing all this? Standing around here doing nothing? Now, this is pure speculation on my part, but I think the argument was about Jeffrey's lie concerning the non-existent boxing trip to Russia. And Colette, using her newfound knowledge of narcissistic personalities, had finally had enough of his shit. Unless she found out something about an affair. Might have. Yeah, because there were several of them. Yes. So many of them. Next, the prosecution brought in a Fayetteville newspaper reporter who was apparently an expert on drug terminology, drug (laughs) culture, and trip behavior. What's going on, cool cats? How how low is it hanging? You catching my drift? I'm currently on acid. (laughs) (laughs) It's like his eyes are just two hypnospirals. He started by saying that he couldn't think of a single head, as they were called at the time. Yeah, they call themselves heads, these people who do acid. Yeah. He said they would never be, quote, so uncool as to say the sentence, acid is groovy. So you mean to tell me they had a fucking, like, like a lit expert? Like, literally, like, <laughs> they a did. fucking a trail expert come in and being like, no one says groovy anymore. Yeah. Say, that's hilarious. They really did. Like, a guy who knew the youth culture. Furthermore, the reporter said, quote, 
Four people who were doing acid couldn't organize a trip to the toilet, let Amen. alone murder three people. Dude, I remember taking acid, going to Disney World, you know, like trying to, I just give people my money and hope I got ice cream back. Yeah. You know, like, it was just like you, know, you can't do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many rides did you make it on? Oh, I, all of them. Dude, oh. I was the fuck about it. I went back with another guy because he heard about how good of a time we had, and then he got the fear, and then uh-huh. I, I couldn't go on anything because the fucking trip sent him the whole time. Oh, it God. really does, because also acid comes in waves. Yeah. Like you take it and it goes away. You know, you start tripping for a while and then you kind of, you're like, is it over? And then it comes back. Mm-hmm. And then every time it comes back, the worse you get at things like taxes, planning yeah. <laughs> an alibi. You like, just want to have fun. That's yeah. it. That's all you want to do. I know we've met some mean, we've met some crazy mean people on acid. Like I've seen some people get crazy on acid, but the, it's, not an organized crazy. No. You don't immediately become the Riddler. Yeah. The worst thing I ever did was try to free my roommate's dogs. <laughs> Again, <laughs> free them from what? From the constraints of the house. Jesus Christ. They're wild. They need to be free. They didn't want to go anywhere. They loved it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're just looking at you being like... You're on ass. <laughs> You're all fucked up. You can't even see your own prison bars anymore, man. Oh, this is where my food is. My daddy's here. Well, the cool expert closed by saying that LSD does not normally make people violent, but a drug that was amphetamine based could certainly have that effect. And now that I have the attention of the court, I'd like to drop a little scat. <laughs> Wow. Objection. (laughs) (laughs) Request that the scat be stricken from the record. Do not bring those bongos in here. Can we actually read that back? The stenographer, skibbity dat, skibbity dat. It's a bad scat. He's doing bad scat. Skibbity, skibbity scat. (laughs) But once the grand jury heard from an FBI forensic scientist named Paul Stombaugh, the prosecution laid out what they believed was what really happened that night between Jeffrey McDonald and his family. The attack, they surmised, most likely began in the master bedroom. There, McDonald struck his wife, Colette, during an argument, knocking her down and bloodying her nose. During the ensuing struggle, Colette's blood splashed onto Jeffrey's pajama top. The noise then woke up their eldest daughter, seven-year-old Kimberly, who tried to help her mother. While Jeffrey's attention was turned to his daughter, though, Colette fetched the club from the utility closet and ineffectively struck Jeffrey, producing the aforementioned bump on the noggin. Quite quickly, Jeffrey wrested the club from Colette's grip, but struck his daughter Kimberly first, splattering her blood in the doorway and likely killing her instantly. And of course, they knew that blood was Kimberly's because every member of the McDonald household had a different blood type. Yeah. But while Jeffrey was murdering his daughter, Colette went to the kitchen and grabbed the dull knife, but was instead beaten temporarily unconscious with the club. Jeffrey then picked up his daughter's corpse and took her to bed, where he beat her with the club even more. Colette, at this point, may have regained consciousness enough to run to her toddler's room in a last-ditch effort to save her last surviving daughter. But it was there that Jeffrey used the club again, breaking Colette's arms as she tried to defend herself. But after beating her most likely to death right then and there in front of her child, Jeffrey carried her back to the master bedroom and went to the kitchen. There, he put on the surgical gloves the family used to wash dishes. It's likely at this point that he caught his breath and concocted his backstory. Still wearing surgical gloves, he wrote the word pig on the headboard, then removed the glove quickly, leaving behind the torn finger that we talked about in the last episode. Yes. But in order to sell it, And I mean really sell it. 
Jeffrey realized that he had to be the only survivor. So he grabbed the ice pick and murdered his toddler last, then took the weapon to the other two corpses for good measure. Finally, he took off his pajama top and stabbed that with the ice picks to sell his story without thinking that there would be no wounds to match the holes. I think he just hoped that people would take his word for it. Yes, and they would be like, see the holes. There are holes here. Yes. He then hucked most of the weapons out of the back door into the bushes, called 911, called the MPs, and laid down next to his dead wife as he waited to tell his story. They will say, though, at some point during this, in a wilderness of error, there is like a little note that's like, I don't know if they ever corroborated this, but the idea that this is where Helena Stokely's like story is trying to like getting inserted into this whole thing, where she's trying to say, apparently at some point, that there was a phone call to the apartment during the murders and that she picked up the phone. There was a witness who said that he called, like, and again, it wasn't ever entered into the trial, but there was a witness that said, I called. A woman picked up the phone, giggled while hearing things were on the other line. He was looking for Jeffrey McDonald. We'll get to why, what she actually said, why she thought that he was involved in this. But there, it's just this weird thing where it's like, then there was no, but we never really got a call record. We never found yeah. out if any of that was put into place. But then that's probably because there were some errors in the trial, but we'll get there. Yeah, we'll definitely get there. Well, after all that was laid out in court, Jeffrey McDonald was brought back one more time at the end so all the evidence could be laid out before him. This time, McDonald was hostile and at times sarcastic, defending the life he led after the murders while also making sure that everyone knew that he had a lot of sex all the time. At me, I've slept with a lot of women. You know, it doesn't mean anything to me, right? All it ever said, it is, it has never meant anything to me. You know, it's been very easy for me my whole life. I have I haven't chased one girl in California, and I must have slept with thirty since I've been there because I didn't spend the rest of my life, you know, praying on the graves. You tell me I don't love my family, and that means I, I must have killed them. That's not true. Oh, 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 it's a lot of shit. I didn't kill Colette. I ah. Ah, and I didn't kill Kimmy and I didn't kill Christy and I didn't move Colette and I didn't move Kimmy and I didn't move Christy and I gave them out the mouth breathing and I loved them then then and, and I love them now and, and you could all shove your fucking evidence right up your fucking ass. That is direct quote. He told them you in his own grand jury hearing you can shove all your fucking evidence right up your ass. And the lawyers were like, Got him. <laughs> it's just like when you're defending yourself from killing your family, don't talk about how much fucking you do. I know. Well, he can't help it. Hey, he, it's, it's just like, it's, he's like, I was a father for a reason. Yeah. yeah. No, he just, it's that need, that need to show his masculinity at all times. And he has, and when he has a platform to show it, and if he, because that's the thing, he wanted, he wanted to work his masculinity into his explanation of like why I didn't cry over the graves. I moved on with that, with my life. You want to know how I moved on with my life? By fucking all these chicks. You want to hear about all these fucking chicks that I fucked? No. It's pretty fucking awesome. If you're so masculine, you should have killed at least one of the murderers. Yeah, you would have <laughs> I, killed the men. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go out and kill a hippie, drag him into your home. Here and it say, is. <laughs> at least have like a bloody knuckle or something. Something. Yeah. Well, I think that with that, it's like Jeffrey McDonald's masculinity wasn't tied to physical violence. It was tied to sex. Yeah. yeah. Like it was all tied to how many women he could get and how gay he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know you're straight. Yeah. Did they ever find the scalpel? Uh, no, it was a disposable scalpel. And remember the they threw out all the fucking trash. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't fucking 
that the garbage came. You know, I'm not against the military police, but explaining to do. Well, that was more <laughs> the CID. It was like a lot of things involved in here. It just seems like, yeah, it was just uh, too many cooks. Yeah, yeah, too many cooks. And I would imagine a lot of looky-loos. A lot of looky-loos. Yeah. And with that, Jeffrey McDonald was indicted on three counts of murder. He was soon after arrested by the FBI as he was stepping off his new boat with his new girlfriend, a woman named Joy, that McDonald described as, quote, the most sensual woman I've ever seen yes. since Rosalind Carter. <laughs> got a banger. <laughs> I got a banger. <laughs> but even so, it still took four more years of appeals, reviews, and motions before Jeffrey's trial was set. In July of 1979, following almost an entire decade of freedom and slight celebrity. The hardest part now was finding the jury. Out of all the people contacted, 81% had already heard about the case, which was incredible considering how at the time only 80% of Americans could correctly identify the president. That's the president right there. <laughs> uh, that's a potato with a hat on. <laughs> oh, no. Who'd I vote for then? <laughs> Carter was forgettable, though. I love him, but he's, you know. Nah, Ford. Now, that's a forgettable president. Uh, who? <laughs> well, honestly, Ed is having problems with memory. Yeah. <laughs> it's not been good. I'm honestly pretty concerned. He's sundowning in the afternoon. <laughs> Well, it's also 1979. There were a lot of presidential shakeups between 1970 and 1979. You yeah. had Nixon who resigned and then you had Ford coming in and there was an election that was Ford versus Carter. And then it was Carter. And there's all of that. the 70s were a busy time. A mm -hmm. lot of people had a lot of shit on their mind and most people were just trying to stay alive because there was so much violence and lots of diet pills, a lot of diet pills. diet pills, which led to more violence. Yes. Yes. Now, but great waste. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why you can't thrift. Yeah, I can't thrift as, no, a, as a fat man. No, fits you. Nothing is built for us, us men. No. Like for nineteen before nineteen ninety five, right? We literally it was all like, well, how? Why is everybody so skinny? Well, you got to go to like Tennessee and thrift. You can't thrift in uh, in L.A. Yeah, yeah. You know, no. there's nothing yeah. for us. You, yeah. you got to go where the big guys are. Yeah, and also you guys are talking about thrifting like two thousand one for seventies clothing. You go thrifting now, it's all shit that was worn when we were in yeah, high school. Yeah, it's all Looney Tunes t shirts. Yeah. <laughs> My God, my yeah. God, time is cruel. Yeah, no, it's like 80 bucks for a T-shirt of like Bugs Bunny and the Tasmanian Devil with a backwards hat and backwards pants with Dressed their arms like crossed. Cross. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man, I know, I know, child. I would love to get my hand on some Zubas, though. What are Zubas? Zubas, the the, the zebra striped pants. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're back. Are no, they Zubas back? are back. Yeah, they're back. They are back. No, God. dude, they are catering to us 40-year-olds. Hard. Give Look me. at me. I'm dressed like an evil child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the trial was shaky, not least because the original prosecutor had died of a heart attack. Yeah, you know, war, 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 Heidi, Heidi. war, he Heidi. He died of a heart attack. That's what happens when you have a 10 year trial. Yeah. yeah. And he'd been replaced by a 34-year-old attorney named James Blackburn who had never tried a murder case. Great. But as opposed to the Article 32 hearing, Bernie Siegel could no longer steamroll the process. And this is kind of where Errol Morris has some problems. And I kind of agree with him on this because the judge put his thumb down heavily on the side of the prosecution. There's a lot of issues in the trial. So he basically... So what what had happened was it seemed was that at some point there there was an argument between the judge and the defense mm -hmm. and once that happened he said fuck them 
and then sandbagged him. They got every single like every single time objection against the defense was like he he let it go. He did he did everything. He also cut down on their closing statements. He did a bunch of weird shit that like so at the time I can now I can see why what Errol Morris is really saying a lot in the documentary is that they left a lot of shit out. Yeah. Like and yes, it is still sort of overwhelming the evidence against Jeffrey McDonald, but he didn't necessarily get a fair trial. They yeah. just wanted him in prison. Well, yeah, because they, they, they've been chasing this for a fucking decade. Well, it's just like when they threw OJ in jail for the fucking trophies. It was the backup. It was the, it's what they were they, like, we were embarrassed. We look like idiots. Fucking lock them up. Yeah, we're mm. going to get him now, yeah. essentially. And now it's, hello, Twitter world. Hey there, Twitter yeah. world. Yeah. And with his actually almost kind of like in the pocket political takes. He's like, pro-abortion? Obviously. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> he says, kill the whole mother. <laughs> it's incredible. Well, Bernie Siegel's attempts to discredit FBI examiner Paul Stombaugh failed. Because that's the other thing, too, is like, yeah, he didn't get a fair trial, but Bernie kind of biffed it at the same time. It all, it just, the, you know, yeah, it was time. And when Bernie tried to have the issue of Esquire with Lee Marvin on the cover stricken from the record, large excerpts from the issue were instead read to the jury. Likewise, a hypnosis session with Jeffrey that had been edited into a 90-minute tape was not allowed in court, even though it contained extremely detailed descriptions of each attacker down to the length of the floppy hat's brim. Oh, uh, the length of the brim? Yes. 15 to 20 inches across, if you're wondering. Ooh, what's the girth? <laughs> what is, what is, what is uh, a football game? <laughs> <laughs> well, because then he's showing, look how detailed this is. Yeah. Look how detailed my memories are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's too big. It is too big of it's a hat. It's a big hat. It's that's a, a huge hat. 20, a 20 inch brim is incredibly It's not large. a hat you wear to a murder. No, I mean, no, it's, it's like, no, it's a hat you wear to a, a to Coachella. Yeah. 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 No, no. It's floppy. It's big, dumb, stupid floppy hat. Mm -hmm. Really? The only. <laughs> Trust no bitch with no floppy hat, man. <laughs> I have my own experiences with floppy hats. Whoa. What happened? Yeah. I'm not going to say. Okay. All right. No floppy hats. I like floppy. I'm you're allowed. Bucket you're, hats. You're fine. You're from. I got a public. But the, the, the really bucket, nice. bucket hats aren't floppy hats. Floppy bucket, if you technically, they're under a structured hat. They really genre. are. Mm. Do you, are you talking about the ones that look like you know they, they got the string underneath and yeah. stuff like yeah, that? And they're and they're too. They're just too big. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. What they're gonna put on you when you're like the greeter at the nursing home? <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Do you bring fish? Let me check your pants. <laughs> Well, really, the only new thing that the defense was allowed to bring to court was a guy named James Milne, who claimed to have seen the four intruders the night of the murders. Ultimately, though, that wasn't enough. What finally swayed the jurors were the interrogation tapes, in which Jeffrey came off as cocky, arrogant, petulant, and dishonest. And thank Christ for that. Because much like the Casey Anthony case, some of the jurors were leaning towards innocent because they said that most of the prosecution's evidence was, quote, too confusing. Yeah. Yeah, because it's spun out of a bunch of weird lies. Yeah. Well, and it's, it, again, it's the, the, it's both a sign of a good lawyer and a sign of a bad lawyer. Like, that's the kind yeah. of idea that you have to keep their attention. They were talking about the one thing that the judge was doing, too, was not taking any breaks. Yeah. So the jury was, like, falling asleep. They were, like, they were sitting there because he just wanted to get this fucking done. Yeah. 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 And, and, of course, that's all, you know... A, that's what happened in the Casey Anthony case is like once the story, once the jurors came out and they talked to the jurors, like one of them said, like, the defense told a better story. K 
matters. Exactly. That's what it is. They, that's that, the whole point of a trial. Lies are great is. stories. <laughs> Fic, you know, like fiction is wonderful, <laughs> but it can be very boring. You know, like truth is boring a lot of the time. In the end, though, it was Bernie Siegel himself who choked when it came to making the case. Instead of a grand performance like Johnny Cochran's If It Doesn't Fit, You Must Acquit closing statement, Bernie rambled for three hours and didn't even discuss the specific points of the defense's argument. Yeah, the other lawyer was pretty salty in the Errol Morris documentary because he was talking basically how he's like, I was supposed to close, yeah, like essentially, but then yeah. this guy blew the light. And then he just said, you've already wasted three hours and 10 minutes. So you're 15 for three hour and 15 minutes. And then the prosecution, they said, you know what? We'll give him 10 minutes of our time, which then make the prosecution look even better. Yeah. And then the last dude had to come out of a hole trying to just trying to do a big wrap up. And he was just because he did a thing. He's like, you know, they say it takes 20 minutes to save a human life. Let's see if I can do it in 10. Like that was like his <laughs> opening line. Oh, my Jeez. God. And so, after a seven-week trial, Jeffrey McDonald was found guilty of second-degree murder in the deaths of Colette and Kimberly, while his youngest daughter's murder was deemed first-degree because the jury felt that it was a calculated act designed to support the cover story. Consequently, the judge sentenced McDonald to three life terms in prison served consecutively, which is the harshest possible sentence under federal law. Now, incredibly, Jeffrey McDonald was released on bail in 1980 after an appeals court decided that his constitutional right to a speedy trial had been violated because of the two-year gap between the Army CID report in 1972 and the grand jury in 1974. The waters were further muddied by the return of Helena Stokely, who was now saying that her friends had murdered the McDonald family because Jeffrey refused to supply methadone to a sex and drugs satanic cult unimaginatively titled the Black Cult. Oh, okay. When did someone finally shut her up? This, well, and this is like the last when she fucking died of hepatitis. Yeah, uh, that was yeah. it. That's when she. Fi that's when they finally stopped bringing her back. Well, she had a lot of. It, it was just weird, right? Because that's again, Errol Morris brings it up she just keeps coming back and keeps coming back to the story the way she positions this is she says that apparently jeffrey mcdonald was a guy that was trying to shut down heroin use on fort bragg by making a petition that people that come in and out of fort bragg need to be checked for track marks it was just like holding i don't know if that's apparently that was a thing maybe but i don't know you know what i mean again it's just muddy 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 shit yeah, yeah. Well, they and also she said that uh, that cult was still active and they had committed 13 more murders since that night. Yep. And they were it was all in the basement, of the World Trade Center, <laughs> September 10th, 2001. Well, you know, this is during that whole this during, of course, like when the satanic panic was just beginning. This is especially when satanic cults were like a big thing. Yeah. This is the whole like, you know, son of Sam shit, you know, where people were saying that. The process church, the final judgment had been behind the son of Sam murders. So, you know, when people said the word satanic cult, certain assholes, certain idiots would listen. Yeah, yeah. they were ready to go. Yeah. And then remember, so between this, so they immediately were going to file appeal. And that's when Fatal Visions dropped. That's when the TV movie came out about his story. And so, like, that kind of decimated anything that he would do after the fact, which then would he would lament and scream about for the rest of his life. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jeffrey moved to California, bought a $200,000 condo at the Mammoth Mountain Ski Resort, and traded in his Maserati for a Jaguar. Where yeah. did he get all this money? I don't Doctor. know. Doctor. 
Yeah, he's a doctor. Ah, I keep forgetting. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's a doctor. He's a doctor. Th- four tongue depressors, you can make 100 grand. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, 18 months after Jeffrey was released, the Supreme Court ruled that his right to a speedy trial had not been violated. Jeffrey was sent back to jail, where he suggested that if a biopic was ever made, he should be played by Robert Redford. Yeah. <laughs> However, there was no biopic. There was a TV miniseries made. And Jeffrey was instead played by the fantastic Gary Cole, probably best known for the role of Bill Lumberg in Office Space. And yeah. apparently, yeah. I'm going to need you to murder your wife. I'm gonna, uh, <laughs> uh, let me see. Uh, get the TPS board in. Because if not, I'm going to murder your family. Oh, I love Gary Cole so much. He was the voice of Harvey Birdman He's and Harvey best. Birdman, attorney at law. Hell he yeah. was amazing in Veep. Gary Cole, incredible. He knocks it, it out of the park every time. I, I guarantee he lives in this neighborhood. I saw him at Ralph's. No oh, shit. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't say anything, though. No. Yeah, no well, you say. can't say hey. I know you. <laughs> <laughs> I know you. Do you know me? I'm still on the lookout for Henry Rollins. I know he shops at our Ralph's. You got to mm. be careful. All right, because he'll steal your fucking wife. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think people accidentally call him Gary Coleman? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just like, he's, I'm sick of getting his mail. They, I'm sick of these threats. To this day, though, Jeffrey McDonald, true to the narcissist nature, refuses to admit any sort of guilt, any sort of responsibility 52 years later. But Jeffrey McDonald is done. Appeals are no longer possible. So it is absolutely positive that Jeffrey McDonald will be held responsible for his crimes, whether he believes he deserves it or not. And he will rightfully die alone in prison. Damn. Wow. Be careful. <laughs> Be careful. Don't kill your family. You might get punished just the same. Yeah. All right. That's the that's the worst part of this. So, But honestly, I mean, this this country, you can't even get away with that anymore. You think yeah. he's popular in prison? I would imagine he's a massive asshole. Yeah. They should make him be a doctor. I I feel like there's uh, people are probably still going up to him being like, what's this? Yeah. No. <laughs> I got this growth. What's this? I mean, he might, like, if someone gets shivved, he might, you know, like, powder him up or something, like, you know, bandage him up. Yeah, 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 yeah. It gets some good good graces in at the end yeah, of your life. Something good. How yeah. is he still alive? This was all so long ago. He's just one of those fucking people, man. He's in his 80s or something? Yeah. Let me see exactly how old he is. 79. Yeah. 79. He's still talking. I saw him. He was on Larry King like four years ago. Whatever. Yeah. Um, if you were going to do some plugs, we did this. We're at the end. Okay. I can't believe we got, we got more series coming up. We got fucking spooky season coming up. We're not getting spooky quite yet. Not quite yet. But we're but we, got a, we got a big series coming up next week that you guys are going to be really excited about. We're oh, going to yeah. be covering a spree killer that you guys have been asking for for a long time. Wow. Oh. They're so excited. Spree killers. <laughs> and then uh, if you want, if you're in the Atlanta area, right, I'm going to be doing this little dinner party that I'm hosting. I don't quite know yet what I You're inviting doing. people to a dinner party? Oh, it is. A, it's an event. It's 18. TLDonnerParty.com. It's called the Donner Party. We're going to have cannibal-based food. Mm. This is real. Okay. It's October 11th at Amatza in Atlanta. Go check it out. So what, what do you mean by cannibal-based? You're going to eat people? No. It's going to be shaped like people. Very Henry, nice. If I just don't eat any more eyeballs. I mean, it bad. was bad for They're my bad body. for you. It is really bad for, bad for you. <laughs> no, like, it's not. It's like, going to be less adventurous. It's more just what it's shaped like. Like, I know we've talked about, like, being the organ meat boys. Yeah. That we're going to go out and, yeah. like, and have fun with organ well, that's meats. That's fun. Yeah. But no, fun. no eyeballs, though. No, it was bad for so me. So is it going to be like a shit. burger shaped like a foot? It's a long story. You, you got to be there. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of meatloaf. Yeah. Just say, yeah, a lot of meatloaf. You can shape a meatloaf in anything. It's more than meatloaf. Yeah. 
I'm going to check it out. Let's All right. I'll also come to the LPN Beach Blanket Bingo, October 20th, San Diego, the Balboa Theater. I'm very excited for that. It's, it's going to be, be real nice. I'm very excited. Please come to that. I I think there's still some tickets left, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It looked like we were almost sold out. Come on. Let's yeah, go. We're getting real close. We're so getting get your close. tickets now. Yeah. Get those tickets, all right? Hell Check yeah. it out. Check it out, baby. Bye, fuckers. Bye. Hail, Satan. Whoa. <laughs> Be good to yourselves. Yeah, hail, Gein, everyone. Nice. Hail me. If you, got a, if you got a fucking second. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't kill my family. <laughs> Good job. Hey. Yeah, good job. Hey. Always yeah. down the pipe. Yeah. You gave your dog, in fact, you gave your dog butt bleeding pills this morning. I so. had to. Good job. Yeah. Was it ass bleeding for how many times it bit me this weekend? No, no, the car <laughs> fine. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Stay away from that dog. <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at stearnsandfoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. It's the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs who are looking to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for a creative way to increase revenue and give your family and friends the holiday treats they deserve, then you need to get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. If I needed to give a class on digging holes, I'd do it. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand. Upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills. And tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or you can sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash left.